Welcome to HSBC Global Viewpoint, the podcast series that brings together business leaders and industry experts to explore the latest global insights, trends, and opportunities. Make sure you're subscribed to stay up to date with new episodes. Thanks for listening, and now on to today's show. Welcome to TMI's Treasury Cast and HSBC's Cybos Spotlight. I'm Eleanor Hill, editor of TMI, and I'm delighted to be working with HSBC to bring you an in-depth look at the events from this year's Cybos. Throughout this series, we will explore the critical topics impacting the transaction banking landscape, specifically looking at sustainability, digitization, and innovation. We will examine the opportunities and challenges disrupting the areas of payments, trade, custody and traditional business models. So we have a really fascinating topic for you today, namely CBDCs. And we have two experts here to help us navigate this up and coming area. They are Mark Williamson, who's Managing Director, Global Head of FX Partnerships and Propositions at HSBC, who some of you may recognize from our 2021 Cybos podcast, during which we covered the basics of CBDCs. So Mark, great to have you back with us. Um, and Mark is also joined by none other than Soren Mortensen, who is Director, Global Financial Markets Transformation at IBM. And Mark and Soren have been working closely together on a joint project with the Banque de France, which we'll get into shortly. But I think first of all, guys, it would be great if we could just set the scene a little bit for this podcast. So I mentioned, Mark, that we spoke last year, we had did a kind of intro session around CBDCs, etc. But how much progress do you think has been made in those 12 months in terms of the general awareness around CBDCs? You know, where do you feel people People still have misconceptions, maybe gaps in their knowledge, etc. Well, firstly, thank you very much, Eleanor, for, for hosting this podcast. It's great to be back and talking about central bank digital currencies again. And really pleased to be joined by Soren, who's my partner in innovation and all things CBDC. So uh, really looking forward to, to this uh, particular podcast. In answer to your question around how much progress has been made around the awareness of CBDCs in the last 12 months, I think the awareness has, has grown. I think people are now familiar what CBDC stands for. Yeah. So again, you know, 12, 18 months ago, maybe that wasn't the case, but people know that it stands for central bank digital currencies and also aware that there's differences in approach and types of central bank digital currencies. So whether that's wholesale, retail, token-based, account-based, domestic and cross-border. So there's certainly been a, a greater amounts of uh, awareness and research and experiments and knowledge that has increased over the, the last 12 months is my observation. I think there's also, due to that, some of the misconceptions is where is the, the starting point for CBDCs? Yeah. So typically we see that um, some countries are starting at domestic and, and looking at uh, retail. It's typically emerging countries, so the Bahamas, for example, uh, who are looking at uh, how can I serve the unbanked or underbanked within that particular economy mm -hmm. and looking at how do I launch a, a retail CBDC. Whereas with more uh, advanced countries, more modern countries, we're seeing that the focus is around wholesale. So we're seeing a lot of uh, projects around wholesale CBDC and what that looks like uh, for uh, studying the journey with central bank digital currencies into to that economy. And therefore, you look at that across the globe, you have some misconceptions aware around where is the best place to start. And we're, we're certainly seeing that across the board. Soren, do you want to pick up on, on some of the points there? Yeah, thank you, uh, Mark. And thank you, Eleanor, for inviting me to this podcast. Certainly what we have observed is that most central banks uh, are experimenting 
on CDBC. That's in excess of 85% of all the global central banks. Wow. Okay. Um, and most of these projects are on retail CDBCs, basically echoing what Mark is saying, that most small economies will, will explore retail CDBC. Yeah. However, wholesale CDBC projects have progressed further. And, and, and these are projects that are being done in the more industrialized countries. And whilst they're less than 20% of all the CDBC initiatives, they have progressed much, much further than the retail CDBC projects at this point of time. And what we are going to be talking about here today is around the, the, the wholesale side, because uh, that is a reflection of the trend. That said, many central banks are working on the retail CDBCs. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So yeah, an awful lot's happened really in the last 12 months. And like you say, a lot more awareness, but also a lot more action by the sounds of things, which is great. Mark, you you gave uh, an example or two before, but I'm just wondering in terms of the, the central bank's activity and their development of CBDCs, have there been any pilots or advancements recently that have really caught your eye that you've gone, oh, okay, this is getting really interesting. Is there anything you'd single out? Well, I'd like to single out the experiment we did we did with IBM, because I think that still stands up uh, very strongly against yeah. what's been going on this year. I think other than the great experience we did with uh, Banque de France and, and IBM, what's been interesting is seeing some of the emerging countries uh, launching uh, CBDC projects and pilots. And also, uh, China still is is progressing with their CBDC distribution into into retail. So we're certainly seeing that. And they're looking at, beyond lottery, they're looking at using that for public transport and also potentially putting that into uh, supply chains. And mm. by providing loans to building companies and then the building companies will then pay their supplies in CBDC. Yeah. So they're still going through that process of looking at, okay, we've got a, a basic CBDC product. We've got millions of wallets out there. We've distributed billions of dollars and digital yuan into the economy and looking at what are the further use cases of extending that into yeah. to the broader population. So we're, yeah. we're seeing those sorts of advancements. Yeah, absolutely. I know a couple of treasurers who are keeping a very close eye on the, the China side of things. Soren, <laughs> anything you've seen? Well, I totally echo what Mark is saying, um, but I would also say that many of the projects are bound by uh, secrecy because many of the central banks uh, want to progress their projects before they announce what they're doing of course. Uh, to the market. So I would say in general, the market is much more progressed than what's in the public eye at this point yeah. in time. But we can't share that because it, it's uh, both Mark and I are bound by secrecy with some central banks. So it is something that the central banks are taking seriously. It is something that the governments, even in, in Western countries, are, are taking uh, seriously. And the governments are really trying to, to see how this can progress and, and, and really work on the value propositions uh, for the CDBC within their jurisdictions. Yeah. So we, we see a lot of work being done on this. For me personally, I, I see the time frame for something becoming more real getting shorter and shorter. I think there's a number of submarine projects out there. It's just when those submarines are going to pop up <laughs> and, and the timeframes for them to, to go into production. Will yeah, be exactly. Uh, I've got visions of you both in some kind of James Bond film centered around CBDCs now, but anyway. <laughs> but naturally. 
I mean, <laughs> you, you look at Soren and I, of course, you'd be thinking of James Bond. I can see that. <laughs> Great stuff. All right. We've we've teased the audience a little bit with your, your joint project with the Banque de France. So come on, let, let's get into it. Let's hear a little bit more about it. So, Mark, tell us about this project. You know, it's um, designed with HSBC partnering with Banque de France and IBM, um, but sort of designed to show how CBDCs can cross every divide. So it's cross-border, cross-digital and real-world currency, cross-asset, cross-ledger. Go on, give, give us the lowdown. Tell us about what's been achieved so far. Happy to. So if you remember last year when we were talking about this and we we're talking about how do we solve the Rubik's Cube of CBDC, yeah. how do we solve for wholesale, retail, token-based, account-based, domestic and cross-border? And given the wholesale focus that, that we have, and I sit within markets, so wholesale is important, uh, we wanted to come up with a use case that uh, satisfied solving the Rubik's Cube and also was relevant to wholesale yeah. markets. Mm -hmm. And also importantly, be relevant for that, uh, that really important connectivity between central banks and commercial banks, because that first connectivity, that first link in the chain is really, really important. So the experiment that we did, and I'll go through this very slowly because I think it's it's worth taking time going through it, yeah. is that we worked with uh, Banque de France and IBM, and on day one, Banque de France issued a Euro CBDC bond, and that's in the primary market. Uh, HSBC then brought that CBDC bond. We then put that into our digital vault. So mm -hmm. we stored that into our digital vault. And then we sold that in the secondary market to one of our clients. And so we've gone through primary and secondary market. We've purchased the bond. We've put it into to the digital vault. We then rolled forward that experiment one day and we received a coupon payment from Banque de France. And then we, per our client's standard settlement instructions, we converted the coupon CBDC amount into a synthetic CBDC and mm -hmm. paid it into their retail bank account. So again, if we rewind a little bit and think about what we were trying to achieve there, we looked at uh, uh, wholesale, uh, retail, token-based, account-based, domestic, and cross-border. Yeah. And, and also from a markets perspective, from a wholesale perspective, we're looking at primary, secondary market, and into foreign exchange. Now, I'll let Soren talk about the, the really cool stuff between the, the two different blockchains because the interoperability between the two different blockchains was super important because one of the big challenges that we foresee across solving that Rubik's Cube 64 times across the globe is going to be the interoperability between yeah. the different technologies that are going to be implemented. So to, to do that across IBM's Hyperledger and across R3 Corda, using the Weaver protocol in between was also an additional challenge that we gave ourselves and we met. So Soren, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, the, the technology side of things? Sure, Mark. Interoperability between networks is key and it's key to successful for CDBCs in general. Mm -hmm. And what we set out to do from a technology perspective and the challenge that we gave uh, to the team was we had also together with HSBC and Banque de France and a whole wide range of other banks, developed a platform to issue, trade and settle the securities on blockchain against CDBC. And that's subject to another uh, experimentation where there was a white paper that came out last year in October. Mm -hmm. Leverage that platform, but the challenge that the team was given was we want to have interoperability 
across networks that are built on uh, different technologies. So across networks, across technologies, across time zones, and as Mark highlighted, token-based, account-based, and, and, and what have you. We achieved that on this project where we had the interoperability not only with blockchain networks, so Mark highlighted R3 yep. and uh, Hyperledger Fabric, but we also connected to the traditional networks so that we could exchange data between these networks. Another thing that we set out to do was to ensure that the issuing central bank that issues the, uh, the, the CDBC has full visibility of their currency in circulation across all of these networks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And this is why this, uh, this project is so important because unlike many other projects that, that looks at interoperability between two networks, often with the same underlying technology, yeah. here we have gone completely beyond everything. Exactly. And both the traditional networks, the new types of networks, and through that uh, technology, the IBM Weaver, which is, by the way, now open sourced, we have proven together with HSBC that we can have these payments cross-border, cross-network, cross-time zone, cross-technologies, pretty much cross-everything, and still have the central bank having full visibility of the movement of their currency. Yeah. And that's why it's so hugely important, because it will give the flexibility for CDBCs in the future to basically operate uh, on any platform that they want, yeah, whilst yeah. keeping that control. Yeah. And that's why this is so uh, so important. Great stuff. So sort of laying the groundwork and opening the door for many things in the future. And like you say, there's there's interoperability and there's interoperability, uh, kind of underlined bold capital letters. And, and you're very much at the, the latter stage uh, with that one. So it's so great to hear a little bit about the, the techie side of things. I'm just wondering if we can get into maybe a bit of more detail around the testing uh, that you did, because I'm sure our audience would be interested in that. So Mark, how do you actually go about testing that full front-to-back life cycle from the bond issuance that you mentioned through to that foreign currency coupon payment? What's been the process there? So a lot of coordination, a lot of late nights, a lot of coordination, a lot of coffee, a lot of strong coffee, uh, and uh, some very committed and, and diligent technology teams that were committed to the cause, which was super helpful. But to, to answer the question, the process was that we had to set up the environments uh, between the different systems. And as um, Soren was talking about, we need to connect into traditional systems plus the, the newer DLT or blockchain-based uh, systems. Yeah. So we had to, to set that up. We had to have a, a separate environment to, to do that. We also allowed ourselves quite a bit of time to do it. But what was interesting when, and what I mean by that is uh, Banque de France were expecting us to take several days to go through this uh, this particular experiment. But actually, when we plugged everything together and the way that we had coded it and the interoperability between the different systems mm. enabled us to do it within a matter of hours instead wow. of days because it was connected and because it worked so seamlessly with all the hard work of our developers and technologists and architects and the teams around, around the globe to do it. It was very good to to actually see it in action because there's a lot of 
hyperbole. There's a lot of, you know, documents that can be written, but to actually see it live and see it operating and to see the uh, the tokens move across the system, to see the payments move across the system and be surfaced in uh, different GUIs, et cetera, was was hugely impressive. So that, that was the the way that we did it. And what was key to that was not only the underlying technology, but actually surfacing the movement of the the bond and the token and the payments through GUIs that we had between the the two different systems. Great stuff. It must have been so satisfying as well to sort of have had that couple of days window available and then only needing a couple of hours because it all works so seamlessly. Oh, great stuff. Soren, anything you wanted to add on that? Yes, what I would add to that is the collaboration between the teams. How well, when, when you are innovating and you're challenging all three organizations, Banque de France, HSBC, and, and IBM, how well the teams came together. So mm-hmm. we had Mark and, and his teams leading uh, the overall project, uh, supported by IBM and Banque de France, IBM more on the technical side. But the way the teams worked together, although they were challenged to the extreme, was, was very, very impressive. I mean, that's gratitude to HSBC project leadership for Mark's team, but I was really impressed how well they, they worked together and uh, the success of this project is down to that collaboration as well. Yeah, always so important. You mentioned there, Soren, the successes, but I have to ask, were there any particular challenges along the way? Obviously, we've spoke about the interoperability and that was a challenge to overcome. Anything else you'd highlight? I think given the innovation and collaboration is is, uh, is super important, that comes with uh, with opportunities and some threats or opportunities and, and things that need to be managed. Yeah. And because we're breaking new ground, because you're testing technologies to, to the limit and you're testing new paradigms and the use of these technologies, that's where some of the challenges came across. And so you come across these really gnarly problems that haven't been solved before and getting together and working out how do I solve those challenges of moving tokens between two different blockchains, for example, was challenging, but hugely rewarding once it's been achieved. And that took some of the best and brightest minds within IBM and HSBC and Banque de France to really knock through and work through how are we going to solve for this, this problem? You know, what are yeah. we seeing? How do we achieve the objective that we'd set out to, to achieve? And what was interesting there was that not only was it three different organizations, it was different development teams across different geographies. So we, we've got a team in India that were uh, developing this, there's teams in Europe, et cetera. So we, we're really trying to pull together not only the, the three different organizations, the different time zones that we're testing across and technologies, they were some of the challenges that, that we saw. Um, and key to any good collaboration is that honest and transparent you know, feedback and feedback and doing that feedback loop and making yeah. sure that's constant and just keep grinding through to to getting to the uh, the end goal but yes there were some challenges it wasn't all cartwheels and laughter there was some stuff that we, <laughs> we had to work through okay understood Soren anything uh, any particular challenge you'd highlight or just echo what Mark had said all projects have challenges but I think one of the things that we did to mitigate the challenges was to set out the use cases and, and set out the clarity of the use cases that we wanted to test up front and share yeah. that with the whole team. Yes, we were pushing the boundaries. Yes, we were pushing the teams as far as the, uh, they could go and the technology, but that clarity 
and then the transparency of progress communication between the teams was actually absolutely essential. Yeah. But that everybody understood when we hit a, a niche or a problem that was resolved as part of the team. Yeah. Uh, filled with clear visibility of what the end goal uh, would be, what we wanted to achieve with that. So yeah. I would say, yes, we had some glitches along the way, but I think they were resolved very, very quickly and smoothly through that collaboration of the teams. Yeah, it's always exciting to have a bit of a challenge, isn't it? Let's be honest, you know, <laughs> keep, keep, you going, keep you motivated. If we, if we don't have challenges, life would be too boring. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay. Um, Mark, one of the other things I wanted to ask you about was the sort of uh, debate that comes up in some of the conversations I have around CBDCs, which is where commercial banks um, actually fit into the whole model. So bearing in mind this successful experiment that you've done, um, how does this strengthen the business case for commercial banks to actually be involved in CBDCs? Yeah, I think uh, it's worth restating a few goals and objectives of, of BIS and other central banks. And one of those key objectives is do no harm. Yeah. Uh, and secondly, just to call out that if you look at M0 that's in circulation, it's about 15 to 20% of, of money that's in circulation. And then 80% is private money. And that's uh, credit creation typically from commercial banks and that goes into to the retail world. So again, this I think cements the relationship and that really important link that I talked about before between yeah. central banks and commercial banks being distributors of commercial bank money. So I think it, it's helped from that perspective. Uh, and the business case is that we are here to create credit. We're here to, we have a license to pay into many different RTGSs or central banks across the globe. Uh, and we are here to do the AML, the KYC, to provide mortgages, to provide loans, to provide credit cards, et cetera. Right? So that whole credit creation piece is, is yeah. really important. But where it does help strengthen the uh, the business case, as, as the question is outlined here, is looking at, how do we improve that link? How do we help accelerate payments and visibility or transparency workflow and order trail between central and commercial banks for the M0 or for central bank money? And we yeah. see that this has been a really good way to prove out that if you have the right technology, the right transparency workflow and order trail of where your central bank money is at any time throughout the, the life cycle of bond creation through to uh, payment within a retail account, then that can help with things around intraday liquidity and how that's managed between mm -hmm. central banks and commercial banks and also for our clients in moving into corporates and into working capital. Okay, perfect. Soren, any further thoughts? I hear a debate in the market where, yeah. where people are saying, oh, uh, we don't really think CDBC is going to work because the commercial banks feels that they're going to get disintermediated exactly, by, yeah. by the central bank. And my, my response to that is I'm involved in, in quite a few CDBC projects. I don't see that message from the central no. bank. On the contrary, for example, for retail CDBC, the central banks, uh, the projects that we are involved in, all have the commercial banks as a key to distributing the CDBCs. Yep. The yep. central bank is just issuing. They are not going to replace uh, the commercial banks. On the contrary, on wholesale, same case. Uh, we do see some potential risk to some of the processes currently managed by commercial banks. But what we see is that the central banks are working with the commercial banks to see how we can uh, alleviate this. So I don't see a threat for commercial banks on either retail or wholesale CDBC. On the contrary, 
I see the central banks uh, reinforcing the, as Mark mentioned, the do no harm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or let's not change it. Let's use, uh, let's leverage what we have. And in there, both on wholesale and on retail CDBC, the commercial banks are, 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 are critical for the success and the roll-up. Yeah, absolutely. There's an opportunity and the door is open and it's there. So it's up to the up to the banks to um, take advantage of that and, and get involved. But Mark, I want to just come back to something you briefly mentioned, our, our wonderful audience, obviously corporate treasurers. So why are CBDCs sort of strictly relevant for treasury? Now, obviously, it's good for people to know about it in a wider context of what's going on within the, the financial world. But how could CBDCs actually potentially benefit treasury, maybe sort of around liquidity? working capital management etc yeah i think there's a few different aspects to it firstly uh, as touched on if you have better transparency workflow and audit trail of where your money is throughout the life cycle of funds being settled and cbdc's could play a role in that then that's going to help investment decisions and working capital decisions from from corporate treasurers i think also with the the use case that uh, we went through of primary bond issuance and that bond being issued on chain i think there's a, a bunch of opportunities around how corporate treasurers have access to that and have visibility around those um, central bank <laughs> bonds that are being issued and that could also lead into different investment decisions around delivery versus payment. And so how that gets sped up because you've got this all on distributed ledger technology. It could yeah. also go into fractionalization of those bonds, et cetera, because you have a digital representation of it rather than a paper copy. As we touched on a bit earlier, I think as um, you know, some of the, the use cases that have been explored around the globe, the China example that I mentioned, if governments are going to be issuing loans in central bank digital currencies out to different government suppliers, yeah, yeah. then what does that mean? And how, how do we need to think through that? Ultimately, it's all about how are we looking at different stores and values of, of payments on distributed ledger technology and blockchain. CBDCs will be part of that ecosystem. They won't be the only one by any stretch of imagination. So corporate treasurers need to be aware that, hey, there's this broader landscape here of different stores of value and payment that I need to be able to process and accept within my risk management systems, my treasury yeah. management systems, my enterprise resource platforms, and how am I going to treat those and store them and treat them on my balance sheet? So I think there's a few different aspects there that uh, corporate treasurers need to, to be aware of. But the key point is that if you do have that better transparency workflow and audit trail of where your money is at any time, from time of, uh, say, deal capture to settlement, then that gives you a whole bunch of different decisions that you can make in order to better manage your intraday liquidity, yeah. for example. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Soren, anything you'd add? Yes, I would add to this. With the interoperability that we have been working on mm -hmm. uh, across you know, all networks, uh, all technologies, we're also looking at interoperability into supply chain networks. Yeah. Uh, and certainly uh, getting that interoperability and, and IBM uh, Weaver is already being a part of our global uh, supply chain network. So okay. You, you do have that in interoperability between the payment providers like HSBC and these global supply chain networks where you have uh, 
opportunity to do financing and payments and so forth. And through this, basically have instantaneous uh, exchange of assets, uh, uh, instantaneous funding payments and what have you. So certainly whilst we are looking at CDBC, the opportunities are endless through what we, we actually prove with a, uh, HSBC on the mm-hmm. Okay, opportunities are endless. Excellent stuff. That's what we like to hear. So, final question before I let you get back to your lives as secret CBDC agents. I'm just wondering, so we've covered a lot of ground in this podcast. So, do you have a key takeaway, next step for our listeners? You know, whether they be banks, whether they be treasurers, how can they prepare for this environment where CBDCs are more commonplace? And also wanted to see if I can pin you down. Down on a on a time scale, I know you've kind of alluded to it, but I'm just wondering if I can get you to be a bit more specific. So I think the the way treasurers can be prepared is to, of course, listen to these great podcasts. There's lots of really great uh, research materials out there, whether that's from IBM, from HSBC, from BIS, some really good papers out there. So there's lots of research material and also news that comes out on a daily, weekly basis on how the CBDC market is evolving. And it, it does evolve rapidly but also slowly at the same time. So whilst there's a lot of research, et cetera, great technology innovation that's going on, it is going to take a little while to actually get into the marketplace. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, be aware, be, you know, keep a, an eye on uh, how developments are going, keep an eye on how that's going to potentially pass through government and what it means for, for corporate treasurers who operate globally, because I think that's the other key aspects. If you're operating globally, then you need to be aware of what the developments are and what that means for each of the jurisdictions that you operate in. So I think it's going to take a little while to to get out there, Um, whether it's uh, in the next two years, five years, 10 years. You've got to times that for, in HSBC's case, times 64. So just trying to keep abreast of what's going on across all those different countries and jurisdictions is why we're, we're excited about doing this particular project, because if we're able to solve that Rubik's Cube yeah. and then be ready for the different types of CBDC implementations across the globe, that puts us in good stead. Yeah. Okay, super. And Soren, final thoughts from you? Yes, my final thought is uh, point one, uh, technology is no longer the issue. We have deployed this on, on the, the hybrid cloud. We can interoperate with any type of network in any time zone on any type of technology, both new and old technology. So for this, technology is no longer the issue. The issue is how do you roll this out? And the use cases are going to be many, but what we do see is many central banks moving quite fast forward. So my personal uh, view is that we're going to see these types uh, like CBDC being in production more towards the five-year mark than the 10-year yeah. mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's real. It's something that corporate treasurers should think about right now and should engage with innovative banks like HSBC mm. to really understand the implication on their uh, business in more detail. 
but it's going to happen five years rather than 10 years. Yeah, yeah. Like you say, it's real. Uh, it's it's certainly coming and start preparing now and asking those questions and, and just laying the ground for, for what is coming in the future. Well, thank you both ever so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to have you with us. It's been great to have you back, Mark, and to hear all about what's gone on in the last 12 months and Soren to hear, hear about all of the work that you've done on the project uh, and the interoperability kind of progress that you've achieved. And I do hope we can tempt you both back to come back maybe next year and give us an update on what's happened in the meantime. Thank you very much, Eleanor. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Well, thank you all for listening as well. This has been HSBC's Cybos Spotlight, a podcast mini-series produced especially by TMI for HSBC Global Viewpoint. To discover other episodes in this series, search for HSBC Global Viewpoint on Apple and Spotify or head to gbm.hsbc.com forward slash Cybos, where you can also find out more about HSBC's transaction banking insights and presence at Cybos. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us at HSBC Global Viewpoint. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Make sure you're subscribed to stay up to date with new episodes.